like me, many of you are probably enjoying that. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 78, so you may open your Bibles there to Psalm chapter 78, and we're actually going to be parked in the last, in, excuse me, in the first eight verses there of Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. I'm sure many of us have been following the situation in Ukraine. You know, it's, it's amazing as we enjoy basketball in the free world. It's hard to believe that there's such tragedy happening in another place in our world. And one of the things that's just really stood out to me is in all this is the, the grit and the courage of the Ukrainian people to defend their homeland. I was reading an article this week about the young people um, who have stayed there to help fight in, in Ukraine. And I was reading a particular article that says teenagers join fight against Russian forces after basic training. We know most, many of the women and children have fled, but they've asked men from 18 to 65, I think it is, to, to stay in the country. And in this article, it reported that there was an 18-year-old named Yaroslav living in Canada who made the decision to return to his homeland to fight for his country. Talked about a 17-year-old boy. And by the way, there are minors mentioned in this article, and I'm not, I'm not saying at all that um, this is the way it should be as far as minors participating in, in conflict and defending their country. But what I want to draw attention to is just the sense of unity and passion that there is, even among young people, in fighting for what they believe is worth fighting for. There was a 17-year-old boy who, who lied about his age to list in a volunteer battalion. There's a story in this article of an 8-year-old boy. He said, My father, Stephen Baida, is a defender of Mariupol. In 2014, he liberated Marinka, Shirakino, and Mariupol, and now he's defending Mariupol to the last. I'm eight. That's how much my father is fighting. And then that little boy, there's a Twitter feed about this, announced this rallying cry to the Ukrainians to defend the city of Mariupol. Give them weapons, he said. Close the sky. Mariupol is Ukraine. Ukraine is me. As we watch those people, it's amazing how we see, even among the young people, such a passion to fight and defend. And that stands in such contrast to what we see here in Psalm 78 that I believe was a preoccupation of the writer of this psalm. His name was Asaph. Aaron just mentioned him. He also wrote Psalm 73 some of the other psalms. He was, a, he was a choir leader. He was the Aaron Weekly of the day, okay? Don't you feel sorry for him now, all right? And if, if you look at the beginning of Psalm 78, many, uh, many Bible translations have this phrase, maskil of Asaph. And that word maskil, it's simply a Hebrew word that it's, it's a song that teaches. We sang some songs, tremendous songs this morning that teach us didn't we? Um, music is powerful that way. And this was a song that was that the Israelites were 
being led to sing, being led in worship to sing, to teach them something very important. Asaph, he lived during the time of King David, and what, from what we know, starting with the story of David and Goliath, uh, David was an incredible warrior, and he was a very successful king. Uh, he brought a lot of stability and security to to Jerusalem and to God's people living in the promised land, so much so that that ark that had been years out uh, away from, from Jerusalem in a foreign land was brought back in and placed to be, once again, God's presence, representing God's presence, to be the center of worship among God's people. But I can't help but think as I read through this psalm that Asaph was thinking, yes, we're enjoying a time of, of prosperity and tremendous success, tremendous peace, but also remembering a time of, of deliverance in the history of God's people when they had been miraculously delivered from bondage in Egypt, and they found themselves on an 11-day journey from the land of Egypt to the promised land that took 40 years because they complained and didn't trust their God. Failure right after success. And I'm, I'm sure he also thought about another time when God had, there was another incredible warrior, his name was Joshua, and he successfully led God's people from that wilderness into the promised land and God had said I'm going to be with you I want you to conquer the idolatrous nations this land is yours for my glory to show up and show off among you as a people in this land and if you look at verse verse 8 I think this has to rank it among the top 10 saddest verses in the Bible did I say verse 8 verse 9 says this, the children of Ephraim, and in case you don't know, Ephraim was one of the children of Joseph who was put in power in, in Egypt to help provide refuge for God's people during a time of famine. And, and, and now, as, as a result of God's blessing upon those people, Ephraim was one of the tribes that was given an allotment of land in the promised land to conquer, to settle, and it says, shortly after Joshua had, had moved those people into that land and there were still other, other enemy nations to conquer, this is how the, the tribe of Ephraim responded to their responsibility. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back day of battle. I would say that's a slight contrast to what we see happening in Ukraine today, wouldn't you say? And you know, we too, as God's people, are on a very real battlefield of a very real enemy. A Jeff Keaton, about a month ago, was here and he was sharing with us reasons why we should give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview. John 10.10 10 says that there's an enemy who 
as, as a thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But as we look at our world today, we, we are dealing with mental health statistics in our country that are, are unseen like any other time. We have more money, more prosperity, quote, unquote, and yet there is something definitely wrong, lethally wrong with our society. And our young people, our young people are caught in the midst of this. But we have a Redeemer King who offers life who desires to lead his church to offer life to a broken world. He's working to restore that glory among the hearts of us as his children so that our children and our children's children, by the way, I'm going to get to see my granddaughter Lily that I haven't seen yet. I'm going to, Lord willing, get to hold her next weekend, okay? So Pastor Brian's suffering for Jesus this weekend. I'm going to be suffering for Jesus next weekend, all right? but so that our children and our children's children can experience the freedom and goodness of living under the rule of our good king. Because our world, our enemy, is selling a bill of goods that there is freedom and there's goodness outside that reign, and there is not. So how do we how do you and I, how do we engage in this world as God's people? How do we engage in this world to equip our children so that they're not like the children of Ephraim, our grandchildren, that they run like the Ukrainian teenagers. They run to the battle. How was Asaph engaged in this war? That's what this psalm is about. And so as we work through this psalm, I'm just going to give you three words to hang, hang our thoughts on as we work through these first eight, eight verses. The first word is this, commitment, and we're going to draw attention to that in the text here in just a sec. And then the second word is content, and then the third word is cause. To help us flesh out how Asaph engaged in this war and how you and I can engage in this war as well. And even if you're not a parent or a grandparent, all of us are on the battlefield. And, and, the, and the question is, how are you and I going to engage? So would you pray with me, and then we'll dive into the text, okay? Father, thank you so much for your desire, Lord, to give us an incredible, blessed assurance so that in this world, Lord, we don't have to wonder shooting from the hip trying to find our own answers, trying to find our own solutions, but Lord, we can rest in your truth, in the goodness of it that has been revealed to us through your word. Father, we, we, had, we, we stand amazed today at a, at a people so emboldened to fight for their homeland. But Lord, help us to see what is at stake right here in our own homeland as well. Not for the sake of America, but for the sake of the kingdom of the glory of God. 
And Lord, we pray that your word would encourage our hearts that we might truly leave a legacy of hope because of the way that we live. Guided by your spirit, thank you so much for your grace that's available to us as you reveal to us our faults and weaknesses through your word. May we also have a clear glimpse of your greater grace and be encouraged because of who our Jesus is. In his name we pray, amen. Commitment. Asaph was committed to equip the next generation. Look at the passage here with me, and you'll see it in these verses. Look at what he says. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. And when he says my law, he's not talking about uh, uh, something that he himself has created a law, but the fact he's referring to God's law, and we'll flesh that out here in a little bit more a little bit as far as what that means, but that he himself had bought into God's law. So give ear, O O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a a parable. And parable is something that just simply takes an an earthly story and and makes a spiritual connection with it. And in this particular chapter, it's, uh, by the way, it's the second longest chapter in the Old Testament. We're only, that's why we're only dealing with the first eight verses, okay? But in this chapter, he, he talks about the history of God's people, but he's saying, look, make a connection between your story and who God is. Our story is not just about us, ourselves. There's a connection to be made. So he said, I want, I want to help you say that. I will utter dark sayings of old. In other words, things that from way back have been revealed about who God is, but oftentimes get lost in the dark. I want to reveal that to you. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. And and notice how, how personal this commitment is. He says, oh my people, so he's doing this in the context of relationship, to my law, Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth. I will utter dark sayings. This is something that he himself has taken responsibility for. And I love that last line. He said, we, he goes from using the the singular personal pronoun I to we. When we talk about being a disciple, making community, that's what we're saying. Our responsibility as individuals is something that we share among us. We desire that our church help all of us not feel that our, our, our place on the battlefield is a solo effort, but that we're, we're working together toward what Asaph is talking about here. He's personally committed to doing his part to equip that younger generation He's not looking around and saying, why doesn't somebody do something? And immediately as I was thinking about that, there's a song by a guy named Matthew West, and it's called Do Something, and it says this. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now. I thought, how will we ever get so down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. 
Yeah, I created you. Now listen, if not us, then who? If not me and you right now, well, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. I'm so tired of talking about how we are God's hands and feet, but it's easier to say than to be. Live like angels of apathy who tell ourselves, it's all right, somebody else will do something. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of life with no desire. I don't want a flame. I want a fire. I want to be the one who stands up and says, I'm going to do something. And that was Asaph's attitude. Sign me up. You know, the interesting thing about this, this assumes that he didn't think everything was just going to naturally work itself out okay with his children and grandchildren. They're going to find their own truth and everything's good. We're not designed to be self-made people. We have a culture that, that has bought into that. That is slavery. That is bondage. That is confusion. We are made by a loving creator king and designed to live life under him to experience his goodness and his freedom. We've got to do something. Our children and grandchildren desperately need our loving guidance. Amen, Robbie Owens? We've got to do something. Not only was this his commitment personal, but notice his commitment was perpetual. Perpetual in the sense that it was something that just, he saw that, hey, I, I'm, I'm a link in the chain here. I, I've been given something, and I have a responsibility to pass it on, to perpetuate this. Look at what he says. Interesting, uh, there's, there's four generations mentioned here. He said, which we have heard and known, and our, and our fathers have told us, and then he says, we, talking about his generation, will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come, his children, that the generation to come, his children, might know them, the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children. So he said, we have our fathers, my generation, my children, and then their children. And the thing is, if, if Asaph is saying, hey, if I don't do my part, I can't expect my children and grandchildren to carry on what I haven't carried on. It's a commitment that's to be perpetuated. And the fact is that each and every one of us is going to pass along something. Your, your life is going, to pass, is going to perpetuate something. The question is, what will that be? That's the commitment that Asaph has to equipping the next generation. 
Now notice the content. What is it exactly that, that Asaph specifically is desiring to pass on to his children and grandchildren? He says this in verses 4 and 5. He says, telling to the generation to come, and he mentions three specific things here. The praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That's interesting, that word telling that starts off verse 4 there. It's actually occurs in verse 3 as the word told and it occurs in verse 6 as the word declare. It's mentioned three times in these, these eight verses. And it, and it literally means to score with a mark as a tally or a record. It refers to recounting something that leads to celebration. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, I couldn't help but think of, of, of the hours and hours that are being spent right now by millions of Americans watching tallying, keeping track of hoops being scored by college basketball teams. How you, have you ever noticed how every single shot that goes in the rim is celebrated by somebody? I mean, we don't, we don't fill out our bracket and just be like, okay, I'm not going to watch any of it. But I mean, you know, many of us, including me, I mean, we're glued in. Wow, what a great shot. And I mean, it doesn't matter sometimes if the team's down 20 points, but if there's a, there's a great dunk, it's celebrated. Imagine the NCAA tournament with no school scoreboards. We're just going to give each team 40 minutes to play and then shake hands and go home. How would your bracket look? There wouldn't be any bracket to fill out. Asaph says, I'm keeping score. And what's he keeping score about? What is it that he's tallying and recounting and celebrating? What is it that he's glued into and watching and waiting to happen? He says, I'm telling the generation to come praises of the Lord the good qualities of the Lord I'm looking and I'm watching and I'm keeping score of who God is and even in this particular chapter he, he pointed out some of those things a few of those things just, just briefly mentioning verse 35 he says God is our rock he also says in verse 35 that God is our redeemer Verse 38, that he's full of compassion. Verse 40, 41, he's the Holy One. There's no one else like him. Verse 56, he's the most high God. And we sang it. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. But be honest with you. There's a whole lot more that many times all my day long I keep score of. I tally. I count. Rather than who our God is. It's part of that giving our 
children and grandchildren, a legacy of hope is in each moment of our lives learning more and more, connecting the dots to what this tells us about the greatness and goodness of our God. He says, I'm also keeping score of his strength. It comes from a verb meaning to be stout, to prevail. I'm looking for ways that God is showing that he's the overcomer, that he's the strong one. Man, as I look at our church body, I see that. Last, last week in our Stephen ministry, we were talking about how to walk alongside people who are going through a divorce or have been divorced. And, and right there in our group were, were four brothers and sisters who have, who have had to walk that journey themselves. And man, when I hear them share, I see God's strength. I see God's prevailing. I see God's overcoming. And pointing that out time and time again to our children and grandchildren. It's so easy for us, and I'm first in line, to be enamored with the strength of others. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating people's accomplishments. But there should be a greater strength that captivates our hearts. Amen? And not only his praises and his strength, but he says, and I'm keeping score also of his wonderful works that he has done. And it's all kind of, it's all, this is not like necessarily three clean separate categories. These all overlap. The word wonderful there has the idea of to separate or to distinguish. What does God do that it's like, that distinguishes the fact that he is God. I mean, as you look, aren't we glad that springtime's coming this week? Okay? And as we look at spring, do, don't you see that that creation distinguishes who our creator is? I mean, who else can create such beauty and wonder as that? And Asaph said, one of the things I want the younger generation to hear from me is the things that God has done that separates him from everyone else. And Actually, in chapter, you can read it later, but in chapter 78, 78 is full of that. God parting the Red Sea, God bringing plagues that, that showed that the, the gods of Egypt were powerless compared to him. And on and on it goes. He goes in seven, chapter 78 talking about these things. And notice Asaph says where all this is coming from. Verse 5, he said, For he, talking about God, established a testimony, talking about a witness in Jacob. He said, when we look at our story as God's people, we can see the qualities of God. We can see the strength of God. We can see the wonderful works of God. We're a witness to that. And he appointed a law in Israel. The word law there basically refers to the first five books of the Bible. The Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And here's a key thing for us to remember. When Asaph is talking about the law here, do you see where he's talking about what we are supposed to do? The rules that we have to live by? When he's talking about the law, what's he drawing attention to? He's drawing attention to God, to who God is and what God has done. 
The Ten Commandments were given to God's people after he miraculously delivered them. He told Adam and Eve what fruit trees they could eat from after he put them in the Garden of Eden and said, enjoy. And I think many times this turning away, this, this not fighting, this, this giving in to the kingdom of darkness and that we see sometimes happening in the hearts of our children and grandchildren is because they see God's story as primarily a rule book. No. God's story is about who He is, what He has done. And because of who he is and what he has done, obviously he's able to give guidance to our lives and that's why we follow him. But it's primarily a love story showing the love of our creator king for his creation. So as we think about equipping the next generation, how, how, I have to ask myself, how do I view the Bible? What do I want little Anna, Noel, and Lily Grace to believe about the Bible? That it's just a rule book? No. And many times we're tempted to only draw attention to the Bible when we're telling our kids what they ought to do. No wonder they don't want it. It's so much more. It'd be like us creating brackets for the NCAA tournament and then telling athletes they have to play so that we can fill in our brackets. It's backwards. It's about the game. It's about the glory of our God. That's what Asaph was personally committed to passing on to the next generation. And then lastly, notice the cause. Why is Asaph personally vested in passing on this vision of God's greatness and God's glory to the next generation? What is it that he's after? He says this in verses 7 and 8. I'm sorry, verse 6. That the generation to come might know them. In other words, those qualities of God, God's strength, God's wondrous works, that the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children. Something that I have to keep in mind, and Jeff Keaton pointed this out to us when he showed us a slide of his, of his, of his grandson, Matthew, is that our children are going to be fathers and mothers one day. Little, little Anna Noel it's going to be most likely a mother one day. Wow. And the kind of mothers and fathers that our children and grandchildren will be in many, in many ways is a reflection of the, the fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers that we are to them. What did Asaph desire for his children and grandchildren? 
And by the way, just on that, I just want to say one disclaimer. That doesn't mean that if our children and grandchildren are making poor choices, that it's our fault. They're free to make their own choices. So I don't, I don't want you to think that there aren't times, and many times we have good people in our church who today are, are currently praying for a wayward son or daughter or wayward grandchild. But we do have a responsibility in all this. He says, what are we after? What's the cause? That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Asaph is saying the cause is hope. Hope here has the idea of trust and confidence. Hope is a matter of the heart that we want our children and grandchildren to have hope. Why are those Ukrainian children and teenagers fighting? Do they have hope? Absolutely. They have hope. They have trust. They have confidence. It's a matter of the heart. What we're after is not so that our kids can know God's story so that their behavior will be modified. This is about their hearts, what they set their hearts on. And this hope we see, it remembers God's works, which show how trustworthy he really is. The idea of that word forget is to, to misplace, for it to be forgotten, to be, to be put somewhere we can't remember where it is. Out of sight, out of mind, out of heart. Forgetting God leads to misplaced hopes and eventually hopelessness. Could there be that there's some connection between misplacing God in our culture and the hopelessness that prevails? I don't say that to be judgmental. I say that out of a heart of compassion and saying that's why we have to do something. Regularly reminding ourselves of who God is and what He has done helps us to see Him for who He is. He's really the most trustworthy person in the universe. And you know why? When we have a hope in someone or some other thing than God, then our hopes are misplaced. And that's what leads eventually to the hopelessness. And he states it negatively then in verse 8. And he says, And be not and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. It's interesting that Asaph is willing to admit, you know what? In our history, there have been mistakes made along the way. You know, if God's story is about him and not about us, then we don't need to hide and cover it up when we, get it, when we don't get it right. Our children and grandchildren know we don't get it right. Right? They're not stupid. We need to be honest. And I found that in my own parenting, one of, the, one of the things that communicates the goodness of God to my kids is when I say, Dad messed up. Because then they know when they mess up, they have a God also that meets them there.
He recalls in their history how, as I mentioned before, they had chosen to rebel against God. Their hearts were stubborn. Their spirit was not faithful to God. Again, it all goes back to the heart. It's interesting that phrase, a generation did not, did not set its heart aright. Our hearts were designed to, to live under the glory of God's kingdom. Everything is right then. The church father Augustine said it like this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's the cause. I don't want children and grandchildren who are restless. No matter where life finds them, no matter what situation they're in, their hearts are anchored in hope and a very good, very great God. So let's, let's bring it to a close here and let's just ask ourselves these questions. First of all, let's ask ourselves this. Let's be honest with ourselves. What is my life Honestly. And another question that can maybe help us flesh that out a little bit more is what am I tallying and recounting and celebrating? One of the most heartbreaking things to me, sometimes I have people come to my office and what they're tallying cannot let go and recounting are the ways that they've been hurt by other people. Maybe that's you this morning. That's a miserable place to be in. And there's other good things in life that we tally and count and celebrate, and there's nothing wrong with that. Those are gifts from God. But we always need to be connecting the dots to the hand that provides those good things. How much does our conversation with our family center around who God is and what He has done? I'm st- I struggle there. I'm, I'm a perfectionist. And it's so easy for, for me to lead our dinner conversations in criticism of this and that. That's not going to help my kids to put their hope in God. What hope Am I leaving as a legacy? You know what I love about this passage? It recounts all this story and all the bumps in the roads and how so many times the fathers in the history of Israel did not get it right. And you know, the fact is this. Any of us who are parents and grandparents in the room, we've not always gotten it right, have we? But I love Asaph goes through this song, leading the people in this song, and he tells this roller coaster ride of God's people, and he ends it up. If you go to verse 70, he says this. He ends up this song with these three, three verses. He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes that had young, he He brought him 
to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Here were God's people who had so many times forgotten who God was, had forgotten what God had done. And God said, I'm going to give you a shepherd king to help lead you. Wow. Guess what? good news is that God has given a shepherd king to lead us, and his name is Jesus. There's not a one of us in the room that's gotten it all right as far as always tallying and recounting and celebrating God's goodness. Many times we celebrate others' strengths, our own strengths, or we're trying to portray an image of strength, and that's our focus. But that's okay. Because church, Jesus is our greater David to lead us today. His perfect life on this earth was always about keeping score and recounting and celebrating the glory of his Father. Every single moment. And he was so personally vested in us to the point of having come and going to the cross and sacrificing himself because of our forgetfulness, because of our rebellion, because of our perpetuation of the kingdom of self and sin. And yet we sang it. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Our greater shepherd king is here. To lead us in battle and through his death and resurrection he gives us hope that we can stand before God today forgiven may I say something to us men when we hear a sermon like this I know because I'm a man we feel a lot of shame and our tendency when we feel shame is to run and hide to run away from the battle we don't have to do that because we have a shepherd king who took our place and we're forgiven for all the times that we get it wrong and we're empowered by his spirit to live on mission with him. We sang that. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. So as we think about the legacy that we're leaving it's not all on us. We have greater grace that's available to us through our shepherd king. Just like those fearful fathers in Ukraine right now that are leading the way, leading their children in the battle, even though we have fears, even though it's overwhelming sometimes when we see what's happening around us, because our shepherd king is with us, we don't have to run away from May we trust him to do that through us. I want to give, do this. Give you a, let's just have a moment. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'd like to ask uh, Carolyn and Aaron, if you wouldn't mind coming, and the praise team, if those of you who are still here and able, to come on up and lead us in that song, Jesus Paid It All.
And I just give you an opportunity right now, if you feel it would be helpful to you to come, come up and pray up here, that God would help you in doing your part in leading the way in the battle. Feel free to do that. Be glad to talk to you if you need that. Or just right where you are, asking God to help you in what you're perpetuating to the younger generation. Let's sing together. Thank you.